Okay, everybody. Well, welcome back to another episode. So, uh, hi, Gunner. Hi, everybody. So, I'm here with Kobe Holloway uh, from SEIC, and and uh, we're going to have a virtual beer going into the holiday. So, so Kobe, uh, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, good morning, Dave. It's, uh, it's good to be on the show. I'm a big fan. Um, I think I mentioned it last time you and I chatted. I, uh, I like to listen to this show when I run, so... Um, Thank you very much for letting me be on the show with you guys. Yeah, uh, so hopefully you don't have like heart palpitations now with me, <laughs> like some sort of Pavlovian response. But yeah, I feel like I feel like I need to run away every time I hear your voice. Um, <laughs> nice. No, no, it's uh, it's it's all good. I get you know get excited. Uh, so a little uh, background on me. I think that was the question. So. Um, Let's see. Currently, uh, I work for SAIC. Been there about ten years now. In fact, I think my mm-hmm. ten-year anniversary is in January. Um, I'm their vice president for cloud computing and digital transformation services. So, I have what I think is the the most fun of anybody in the company. Uh, it's a it's a really cool space, and you know, I've got a, a really awesome organization and, and a lot of fun customers to work with, and we get to do really fun work that changes a lot. So. Um, before that, uh, I worked for Lockheed Martin for about five years, and before that, it was odds and ends jobs. Um, you know, I was an IT director for uh, a small business that owned a bunch of Pizza Huts, which was actually one of the wow. most fun, fun jobs I ever had in my in my life. That was that was right out of college, and that was a blast. So, but yeah, uh, I got into public sector work shortly after um, I got out of college, about two years, and I've been doing something with public sector for most of my career since then. Okay. Yeah. And, and so you're right now you're out, you're stationed out of Huntsville, but you're, you're from Nolens, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. So, um, my wife and I both were, you know, grew up together in new Orleans. I think I met her in second grade. And, uh, I guess when I was about 30, um, the work transferred to Huntsville. I was supporting NASA at the time as a network architect for a Lockheed Martin contract and we moved up to Huntsville and we, like I said, we've been here about 10 years and we, we just love it. I mean, it's an, it's an mm-hmm. incredible community. So, so diverse. It's, you know, it's still small though. It's, it's like Mayberry with 250,000 people in it. If you could scale Mayberry, you've got Huntsville. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So let's, so as we were saying that, you know, having this be like a, a Christmas reflection episode, um, mm. let's, let's talk about some uh, things. Cause I know, I know you have kids that are interested in STEM and we're going to talk about uh, uh, Christmas gifts and, and things like that. But one, you just gave a Christmas gift to the EFF, right? Yeah. So I just, uh, just renewed my membership with those guys. Um, yeah. I, I've, Long time, long time member, uh, a big fan of the work that they do. Um, internet privacy, uh, internet neutrality; those are those are topics personally that are very you know near and dear to my heart. So, uh, so yeah, I would actually encourage everyone to at least take a look at the EFF and see if it aligns with your personal belief system. Um, it certainly does with mine, and a big fan of that organization. Yeah, and and uh, I think one of the other things too is that with uh, our Red Hat CEO, uh, Jim Whitehurst, the proceeds from his uh, book, The Open Organization, uh, all the profits are going to the EFF. 
Uh, I didn't know if you knew that, but fun fact. No, actually, I did not know that. So that you know, yeah, sounds yeah. A, it sounds a bit contrived, right? Now that you say that. <laughs> well, I'm, no, no, it, was, it that. was just coincidental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but as you could tell, and actually, the uh, the Red Hat employees voted. Uh, it was basically, it's like, okay, what are we going to do with the profits from Jim's book? And and it was actually opened up in the open organization way um, to. Uh, uh, say what we we're going to do with the profits. And so that everybody voted and, and, uh, EFF won. So it's a great organization. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Um, yep. very cool. It's funny. I, I, you know, I didn't know about them. I knew about the topics of course, you know, for, for a long time, but the way I, I learned about the EFF was at the, uh, at the Atlanta, uh, dragon con, I don't know, years and years ago, one of the earlier dragon cons, the EFF actually maintains a booth at, at Dragon Con, <laughs> which I think is just cool. Wow. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm sure they they're giving out laptop stickers and all kind of stuff there too. You know, spread the word. It's it was fun. I think I was standing next to a to a guy dressed like uh, like an alien from uh, from the Aliens film, like the full costume, top to bottom. You know, then oh, the like uh, Xenomorph. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, filling out the form, trying to figure out how to hold a pen. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, put it in your internal mouth, and it could they could sign with that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, so we got the EFF, and then so you you have two kids, right? They're they're seven and eight. I do. Yeah, um, my daughter Penelope and my son Desmond. Um, yeah. And for yeah. the Lost fans out there, uh, yes, that is uh, that is partially why we named them that. We are my wife and I both are real big Lost fans. Okay. But I'm also a big ancient Greek, you know, culture and history fan, so that's where Penelope came from. But yeah, she's seven, and my son's eight, and they're they're big okay. math and science geeks. We love it. Yeah, and so we're so we'll we'll probably have this come out after Christmas. So feel free to uh, tell uh, um, you you could let some spoilers out here uh, for when this goes out. But uh, so it's it'll still be a surprise to them. But what 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 is some of the things that you're looking at from a, a Christmas present standpoint? And, um, you know, you want to get them uh, uh, into STEM and, and make them uh, budding engineers and technologists. So what, what are some of the things that you you've been looking at? Yeah, absolutely. So when when my wife and I were talking about, you know, what are we going to do for the kids for Christmas this year? Yeah. Um, one of the things like the life skills, I think that's going to be required for pretty much anything that you, you do in the future is programming. So we wanted to get them both uh, early on interested in programming and, you know, thinking in that that way. So this year they're getting um, Wonder Workshop dash robots. So I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but we did a lot of research about, you know, what's a good platform to help them uh, develop some basic programming skills, uh, and this this seems to be the toy. Um, I'll okay. give you a post-purchase review uh, <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, next time. Let you know how that goes. But, yeah, it's got a visual programming interface for a tablet and um, has a lot of different types of sensors, so you get, you know, a feel for Internet of Things devices, you know, highly interconnected devices and lots of different ways to interact with the world. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So there. So is it? It sounds to me like it's probably a lot like Logo, or or Turtle Graphics, right? Where yep. you probably just pop this robot down and you say, "Oh, go forward ten steps, rotate ninety degrees, go forward," and and you could set up control structures to loop around and things like that. Is that is that sort of the way it works? You got it. Yep. Absolutely. You can also have it do things based on triggers from some of its sensors. So. Um, oh. Okay. 
And it's got a little friend named Dot. You can have it interact with Dot. And it's got physical interfaces, uh, or physical manipulatives, I should say, on the device itself, buttons and, and things like that, where you can create little little games and new ways to interact with the with the robot tactilely. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. Um, have Have you tried Scratch with them at all? No, no, we have not done scratch. Uh, I I feel like a bad dad that we haven't looked at that yet. But but this, I'm, I'm this calling will be child the protective year. services for nerds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Send them our way because yeah, we were uh, we were falling down the job. But yeah, that this is the year for that. I think both of them are yeah, you know, mature enough and 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 ready to really to really get excited about it. Yeah. So there's um. So the interesting thing there is that like you you know like you have scratch, which I would say is like closer to like the eight to ten year old uh, part of it. Uh, you know age range. But there's also uh, a thing called Scratch Junior, which runs on a tablet, and it's more it's even more visual than Scratch, where it's it's much less words. You know, especially for younger kids that just aren't you know super up to reading yet and everything. Um, so highly, highly recommend that. I'll throw a link in the show notes uh, for those two. But um, that was one of the things that really uh, got my daughter, Lauren, to, to take off with her, you know, guinea pig games and stuff like that. And the other fun thing with Scratch is that it's uh, you basically whatever program or game that you write, you open source uh, when you store it up on scratch.org or scratch.mit.edu. So other kids can like take the code, fork it. And so not only are you teaching the kids STEM and programming, you're teaching them open source principles in terms of, of resharing code and code attribution and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that's exciting, Dave. Y'all have to take a look at that. I know the Wonder product uses Blockly, um, but, and, you know, that's what was very appealing about it is, you know, it's got a it's got a very straightforward visual interface for, for developing yeah. logic for the, for the robot interactions. But, um, I have to check and see if you can do any kind of integrations or, or code sharing between the Wonder Native apps and Scratch if there's code converters. Oh, gosh, wouldn't that be interesting? So here, kids, this is a code converter. Let's use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah, and are, are you uh, getting them on the track of looking at, like, uh, first robotics competition, like, like FL Junior and stuff like that, or, or where that? Yep. So that actually starts here, I believe, in fourth grade uh, is our first opportunity. Okay. And dang, you know, I had a flyer on my desk. I think my, my wife cleaned up and now my flyer is gone. But there's a team here in Huntsville. Um, I'll send you an email so maybe you can put it in the show notes and give those guys a plug. Okay. But, but it's it, it was it was not started by any of the um, local institutions. It was it was it was organic amongst some of the teenagers. They decided to to push it forward themselves, and now it's got to be a real big thing here. So, okay. So yeah, that's that's definitely coming. I think this year we'll 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 learn on on the visual programming platform that comes with the with the robots and see how they respond to that. And if they really get into it, then maybe we'll push forward a little more aggressively with some some first activities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like first a lot. I wish uh, we knew about it earlier uh, with with Lauren. But, um, you know, because like you start off with like uh, FL Junior uh, first Lego League, where it's like they basically give you all the parts where, um, you know, here's a bag of Legos and some motors. And then here's a course that you got to do. Um, but you can only use those Lego parts. You know, that that was sort of the constraint that you have. And then um, once you get into like uh, first robotics competition, which is for the high school kids, that's where 
it's like things are like wide open where it's like there's it's really just like they have limits on spending, you know, so like you can't have like some private mm-hmm. school where people are making jet engines and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> right. And then there's, uh, there are weight restrictions too, uh, but outs- and, and size restrictions, it has to fit in a certain size volume. But outside that kids are bending metal, they're welding, they're, you know, building all kind of great stuff. So it's, it really shows a creativity where you'll have these robotic missions and it's interesting where you'll see, Uh, The robotic designs, um, some of them are like super unique, but some of them, uh, many of them just sort of collapse into like, like, it's like, oh, this one is a grabber or, you know, it's, it's like for certain missions, it's amazing how some of them look very, this uh, very similar from like a, like a similar class of robot. Um, But it's, it's just, it's like so much fun in high school to see them compete and you're just screaming and, uh, you know, and they, they live stream the, the, the competitions over the internet. So, my parents are watching from Pennsylvania that all the tournaments that my daughter's in, they're yelling at the computer monitor and everything. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds like a blast. Yeah. The kids would love that. We, um, you know, we're, we're a big scouting family. You know, my, my wife's a, a girl scout troop leader and I'm a cub scout den leader. And, you know, we've both done that for years now and the kids yeah. get super excited about the Pinewood Derby. So it sounds a lot like Pinewood Derby for robotics. Oh, absolutely. And, and I've seen too, where, um, like the FLL teams or, or the robotics teams, like if, well, I'm sure in Huntsville, there's plenty of, of, of high schools that will align with and have their own teams, but in grade schools as well. But there, I, I would see even cub troops, um, would stand up their own FLL team, um, and, you know, and, and go that way too. Uh, so it's not, you know, just for like a school, it's like they could have like uh, like a pickup uh, team of of kids from different schools with whether it's a church or it's a a cub group or or things like that. So it's pretty awesome. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what about um? So so there's some other things that we wanted to talk about too. So I know we we're talking about uh, like Android and Kindle and stuff like that and favorite books and things, but uh, what we're you were telling me a little bit about uh, like Kindle apps or the, or the lack thereof. Uh, let's, let's riff on that a little bit. Oh yeah. So uh, again, you know, this is the kind of a, a big technology shopping season for, for our kids. Yeah. This is one where a lot of the stuff that we're buying for them, everything from transformers to, you know, halo uh, video game action. I mean, you name it, it's got some sort of an app interaction now that there just there just isn't a toy about that you buy that doesn't and the kids both have you know tablets and you know our older phones or whatever they've got that that they can use for these things but i have to tell you i find it i find it frustrating that so many of the toy manufacturers are not supporting uh amazon kindle fire it's Mm -hmm. really odd to me i mean you know like i mentioned earlier we were, were chatting in prep for the show the the Kindle platform to me, the, you know, the fire specifically is so inexpensive uh, mm-hmm. and so capable that it, it's like the tablet for the masses. Right. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. And I just, I just can't understand why that isn't, you know, the, the first platform of choice given, you know, how, how inexpensive and readily available and capable that platform is very frustrating. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. Cause it seems like things are, are, pretty much consolidated it's like it's either in the google play store or it's in the, the app store with apple um and then that's it and and i'm sure with you know, you would think with developers you <clears> would 
you know, those are the, those are the two things you want to target most. And then you have the random, you know, app stores, the long tail of them, like the Microsoft, uh, you know, store and things like that. But um, but you would think that the the Kindle store would not necessarily be part of that long tail, that it would be like a, a close third to, to those two, given the volume. Uh, and and also, especially for kids where, like you said, it's like like you don't need a cell plan or anything like that. It's like 50 bucks. And if and if your kid loses it or breaks it, no big deal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I, I mean, it's a it's a great platform for a child because it's not much more expensive than, you know, dinner at the Mexican place with the family. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? so, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, no, no big loss if there's some, you know, some tragic uh, playground related accident. So yeah, yep. I, I, it's it's just frustrating. It's, it seems like it it would be um, the platform of choice for toy manufacturers who want uh, app interactivity for for their toy, you know, imaginary play, right? And I really love that yeah. concept of integrating, you know, tactile, um, you know, creative play with, um, you know, the application on a tablet to to create this new this new way of establishing community amongst the kids using technology. And, you know, I, I really like that dimension of it. I mean, it takes a lot of close parole monitoring to make sure that's a safe space for the kids to do the things that they need to do. But, you know, it, it's, it's a lot different than when we were growing up and, you know, it's a lot better. I think you have kind of a, a play fabric, if you will, that integrates real things and technology. So it's, it's awesome, yep. but yeah, don't, don't limit the platforms. Yeah. Well, and also I, I would think too, it's like the toy manufacturers that are probably selling the products on Amazon. Um, like I think there's a natural synergy there too, where it's like you buy it from Amazon, you have the app that lives inside your fire um, that uh, like, I think they're missing out. Oh, I agree completely. There's, there's definitely opportunity there. That's uh, yeah. that's being left on the table. Yep. So, yep. you know, yeah, or even have the app. If you guys are out there and listening yeah. to the Dave and Gunner show, all right, take action. Yeah, yeah, and send send the check your way, right, for the idea, right? Yeah, <laughs> the royalty checks. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, the other thing I know, we, uh, like IoT security is like a crazy thing too. Whether it's IoT or mobile devices and things, and you know, it's like the thing I like about well the way the model is is like the incentives for iot and for a lot of the 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 handset manufacturers and tablet manufacturers are you know they make money off of the device that you buy so there's no incentive to do any sort of long-term maintenance there's actually a, a negative incentive where the the fix would be to buy a new version of the hardware whereas with say the kindle um you would think that they're probably taking a loss on the hardware and they don't want you buying hardware more uh, all the time. What they want you to do is use the Kindle fire, buy apps, buy books out of there. And as a result, they have it uh, by having that business model, the security model on the Kindle side is probably a little bit stronger than the $50 tablet that you buy in a supermarket. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I agree completely. The, you know, part of what you buy when you buy an iPad or you buy a Kindle is, you know, you you buy the brand, not yeah. necessarily so much for the hundreds of different, you know, disparate um, Android-based tablet manufacturers out there, right? There's there's not brand cohesion in the Android space, but I think if there's one that 
does have that and is therefore incentivized to really protect its platform um, and ensure a, a safe experience, it's it's Kindle. So yeah, yeah, I agree completely. It's in their it's in their business interest, and therefore it'll probably happen uh, for them to provide a safe and secure, you know, tablet experience. So yeah, yeah, and and like right now, I wish there was a Google tablet out there that you know it's like I'm I'm still waiting to replace my Nexus uh, Seven from 2013, which is not getting updates anymore. Um, but the for me to get any sort of Android tablet, I gotta buy a non Nexus version. Um, whether it's a Fire or it's a uh, you know Samsung or or Lenovo or or whatever sort of tablet, um, so yeah, I, I think Google's missing out as well. Yeah, definitely, it's a it's it's an untapped space. Listen to this flood of wonderful ideas. We should start a small business and and consult with these companies and just tell them what they need to do, Dave. Yeah, they could just they just send us Bitcoin after hearing this. Um, yeah, we'll be flush with it. Um, it'd be great. Kindles for everybody. Yeah, so. So speaking of Kindles, um, what's on your Kindle now in terms of, uh, you know, especially as people are winding down for the holidays and it's like it's they're probably taking some time off. I know for Red Hat, we're shutting down later this week and we're not coming back till um, early January. But uh, what what are some of the, the book recommendations you have? Yeah. So I, I just finished uh, an oldie but goodie um, called. Uh, Private, I think it's private cloud, visible, visible ops for private cloud. Uh, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's from virtualization to private cloud and four practical steps. So, so this is an older book, um, Andy Mann, Kurt Milne, and, and Gene Moran, but it's a really, really great foundational book for understanding how to bring you know cloud on-prem and create dedicated clouds, um, even if not on-prem, it's just you know, your cloud. And it's very realistic when it comes to the financial aspects of cloud computing, too, which I really like. Uh, okay. it, there, you're not going to find anything in here that, that, that says move to the cloud because it's cheaper necessarily, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> so that's a good one. Uh, the thing that I usually give um, colleagues for Christmas, it's another set of oldie but goodies, but well, I guess you're not that old now, but it's the Clayton, Clayton Christensen books. Um, I'm a huge fan of Clayton Christensen. I just I love the way that he looks at the world. Uh, probably my favorite is the Innovator's Dilemma. Um, right. Someone gave it to me, you know, many many moons ago, and it and it changed the way that I looked at innovation and the way that I looked at uh, at people who are able to create new ideas and concepts, how they interact, and it explained, frankly, a lot of the to me at the time, erratic and unusual behavior <laughs> yes. from, from colleagues and employees uh, in the way that they, they went about solving a problem. Wonderful books. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And um, to close out, um, we, we have a, a Damon Gunner and Kobe uh, term of the week that, that uh, you coined uh, called the Dynacorn. <laughs> yes. And, so, and we, <laughs> We, we pray wholeheartedly that this is not offensive to anyone. It is absolutely not meant to be. But yes, um, a, fr- a good friend of mine who, who's been in the, the, the technology world for a very long, long time, we were we were having, a again, a virtual beer, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, distributed teams, you have to have, you know, virtual drinks. Um, we were just, just catching up, and we were talking about, you know, how both of us early in our careers had had 
employees who were very late in their careers, but who had very specific, unusual, and not immediately relevant skill sets when you first start thinking about it. For me, it was it was a, an individual who knew how to work on a particular sat- satellite uh, controller platform where the company had gone out of business. You, you couldn't get uh, really anyone else just about in the country who knew how to manipulate these very complex um, devices. So, so you know, for for Andy, my my friend, he you know he had one that was very similar in a very particular uh, flavor of Unix from a very long time ago, um, with a particular piece of code that had been written on it. So, so we got to to talking about these folks, and we decided, you know, they're not they're not unicorns, um, right. but they're they're more dinocorns, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's they're 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 late career individuals, um, or frankly retired individuals who have a very <clears throat> specific skill set that's yeah. that's still relevant for uh for for a very small portion of uh of the technology space yeah and th- i think too that um like also it's like that skill set is way different than the skill sets that we have today where um you know think about back in the 60s and 70s where you know you're pinching pennies for uh bytes like not even kilobytes but bytes right to, to oh, yeah. have your program fit into a satellite or something where now it's like you're doing these Java apps that are just really big and, and it's like memory is less of an issue and stuff like that. So like even the, the value system from a technology, technology standpoint is way different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, folks from, from that era have such a wonderful and unique perspective on, on systems design. I mean, to mm-hmm. your point that, you know, they, they, they did not have effectively unlimited underpinning resources. So the way that they engineered things was really elegant and uh, far more, far more art and poetry than, you know, the, the sledgehammer approach most of us take these days. Well, well, and the other part of it too, is that like they didn't have DevOps either. Right. So they had one chance to get it off the launch pad and into space. They can't like, Oh, we'll, eh, we'll get it out there. We'll do another patch later or something, you know? And, um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's, it, that's the other thing too. It, and it's interesting to see how the, the industry's transformed, uh, you know, away from that, that waterfall. It's like, you know, measure twice, cut once sort of thing to let's, let's just keep cutting until it, uh, until we get the shape that we want, um, over time. Yeah, it's definitely a different mindset. I, I think it's good to, to blend, you know, folks who, who grew up in that world with, you know, folks who've, who've, been raised in in the DevOps, you know, Phoenix Project, uh, post Phoenix Project era, right? Because they, yeah. they it leads to some very interesting and I think productive interactions. And I think that you know our our current generation of of development talent can very much benefit from the perspective, you know, folks who are who are learning their skills and honing their craft in the, in the 60s and 70s um, bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Okay, so we want to thank you, uh, Kobe, for for especially you know being on vacation and everything, and and uh, joining us on the show. But um, for all the stuff that people mentioned, if people want to look at the uh, Wonder Workshop uh, robots and and uh, um, to get to your reading list uh, for the break, uh, what website should we send them to? That would be dgshow.org. Okay, awesome, Kobe. Well, hey, thanks for joining, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Dave. Had a great time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.